It's, it's strange, isn't it? We know all the reasons why and they're the right reasons. But on a normal year, and this is very much not a normal year, we would we would both be in Paris. This would be, I'm trying to figure out, day three of the of the French Open of Roland Garros. Oh, one of the best <laughs> tournaments of the year. And the weather is incredible as well, because it was a bit iffy last year, wasn't it? It was a bit Last year, <laughs> it's a bit iffy every year. Every year I go there thinking, this is Paris in the springtime. I don't need a jacket. I probably only need one jumper. I've never got so wet as I did one year when literally my bones were shaking. I was so wet. Um, it's cold. It rains. Now there's a heat wave going on in Paris. I know. And oh, and the roof is done. And we want to see the roof in action. And it looks amazing. Not that they would have used it, to be honest, looking at the weather they've got at the moment. <laughs> it's the same with the, the roof at Wimbledon, wasn't it? The following year, they just didn't need it at all because it was just amazing sunshine. But that's the way. We will need it at some point in the future, I'm sure. Maybe for the new autumn Roland Garros that we're going to have. Well, if that takes place, we will definitely need the roof because end of September, <laughs> October, it is A, going to be cold. We know that, but it is definitely going to rain. It's it's strange. And again, we, we know why we're not there. It's the right reasons that it's not taking place now. But just looking at social media and not just the players, this, I think... In this one, more the people who work on the tournament, a lot of people that we know just posting pictures, sort of throwback pictures or or where they'd be on this exact. I even sent a, an email to the, the Radio Roland Garros team that I work with just to sort of say, hi, how is everyone? Hopefully we're going to be together because there's something about these tournaments, aren't there? When you're you're with a group of people, it might be just a small group, but you do everything together for these two weeks two and a half weeks you sort of have breakfast lunch you spend your whole day with a certain group of people oh yeah and uh it's good when you get a good group that's for sure <laughs> um but yeah I think it's gonna be interesting I've be- because it's been Roland Garros supposedly in my mind for the last few days um I've been thinking a lot about it happening in the mid-autumn it's mid-autumn is it? it's not late autumn mid-autumn and it just feels, I was just thinking, could they quickly build another seven roofs? And then thinking, <laughs> well, the possibility of not having Roland Garros this year, which is still a possibility because we're not 100% sure, um, that would not that would mean they probably don't have the funds available to <laughs> just start whacking up roofs and canopies and that sort of thing. But it will still be cool, though. It will be... It'd be interesting, like, say, yeah, we get to an autumn Roland Garros. It will be different. It will feel different. It will be right after the US Open. I know I've always been the more positive of the two of us, but I'm feeling a little bit more positive. And I don't know whether it's just because I'm hearing things and Guy Forget, tournament director, is coming out saying, look, we're doing all this and we're talking with the US Open. We're talking with everyone to try and build in a clay build-up. The talk is definitely there. And I don't know if that's influencing my positivity. But I even think from you, I'm sensing a little bit more positivity. I think so. Definitely. I feel much more positive that we're going to get tennis this year. And as I said, I think... There is still a significant chance that US Open and French Open may not happen. We need to be realistic. But I think there's also a significant chance that it will go ahead. I don't think that is a small chance at all. So we just have to kind of wait and see. It's still quite far away. I mean, we're, we're what, nearly in June now. But anyway, fingers crossed. I've now allowed myself to start thinking about Paris in October 
when oh, I didn't before because before yeah. when they said oh we're going to play Paris in, we're going to do Roland Garros in October I just laughed I was like no you're not <laughs> <laughs> you're just not let's be honest because that all kicked off because they did it without other people's consent and it was all kind of well where has this come from so yeah back then I was just kind of not even entertaining it but now I'm starting to think about it and I think it could be cool it's it's funny a lot of people have been talking about their memories whether working memories at Roland Garros or players being interviewed past players or can they remember when they won this or did this and I was thinking oh great I could do that with you but then I then I keep remembering you don't like the clay you didn't like the clay you never like the clay so if I asked you for a good memory maybe should I just say a memory from Roland Garros I know look at your face a, a memory from Roland Garros what would it be a memory any memory at all any memory? Um, well, I think the first time I was there as a junior was pretty cool, just to be there and see the ball kids doing their warm up, which is a very traditional thing. That I think that was the first thing when I walked in and I saw that. Um, that was great, and just honestly, just looking at the clay courts. If you've never been to Roland Garros, and we're very fortunate that we've been able to go, the courts just as as clay courts go and as we mentioned I'm not an expert <laughs> but I've played on a fair few of them they are just like silk underneath your feet I mean you look at it it's so fresh the color of them it is so bright and vibrant you know most clay courts you play on around the world it's kind of a mix of different things in there it's not as colorful it's not as uh, nice underneath your feet and I remember up until that point, I mean, because the problem with playing on clay when you're not very good on clay really is the movement. <laughs> That's the main issue. Yep. Um, and I remember playing on those courts and thinking, oh, I can move absolutely fine on these courts sliding. It's like, oh, it's just like sliding on butter. It was just so nice, that feeling underneath your feet. And you just see them freshly swept and clean and you just want to run on there and just tear it all up and just mess it all up with the, with playing and it just really I don't know it just makes you so kind of keen to get out there and as a player how did you find the crowds because like each slam has a different atmosphere it has a different narrative it has a different feel about it but there is there is something about the French crowds you know people talk about well they're not really early risers and they do like a lunchtime so if you're playing at lunchtime it might not be that busy and then it gets a little busier and a lot of the time they talk through the matches how did you find the French crowds yeah I think kind of just like that um because I wasn't on a main court I wasn't on any show courts so just on quiet outside courts it does tend to feel like people are just kind of milling around kind of paying attention to what's happening but not really their conversation or their coffee might be more important um <laughs> and you know that is the feel but all of the slams have such a distinctive i think set of fans and, and a feel around it so i mean so when you play at the us open really it's all about the show it's all about the main courts and the outside courts and also with the way that it's laid out because the main courts the show courts are in the middle and then the outside courts are very much on the outside you don't get as much sort of footfall around that area but you go to Wimbledon you've got outside courts are kind of always wedged in between the main courts the amount of people the traffic I mean every court is full and how did you find working at Roland Garros last year We're kind of a strange year to work there because they're in the middle of, of changing everything. So the museum was the press room. The the temporary press room was down there and, and Chatrier had been rebuilt, but we didn't have 
the roof yet. So how did you feel going there as a, as a commentator working? Well, it was my first time there in ages. I just hadn't been back at all uh, since uh, since I'd played because I didn't go with my player when I was coaching and she was in the slams. That was the one tournament we didn't do. And yeah, so it was my first time back. I, I, it kind of felt completely new because lots of development happens in about a decade at these slams. It's it's amazing. I mean, everything was roughly where I thought it was supposed to be because I kind of kind of <laughs> knew what was going on. But um, yeah, and it's just totally different being part of the media than it is being a player. You're allowed in different places. You're kind of your hub is somewhere else. So it just means you see different things because you kind of go from your hub to wherever you're working. When you're a player, you go from the player's lounge, that hub to your practice court back again. You know, that there are certain areas that you just, you know, I don't know, you didn't really see before. But I mean, look, it's awesome. It's an amazing event. And it is, uh, yeah, it's just a real privilege to go. I remember last year, um, and we, we were working for different people because you were there with, with Five Live and I was out there with the the FFT. But we'd see, we did the pod and we'd see each other. Actually, not loads, did we? No, I think we only saw each other for the pod. <laughs> I think, yeah, am I just, I'm romanticising our trip to Paris together for Roland Garros. Yeah, I hardly saw I you at all. we saw I? each other twice. No, I saw you a couple of times because a standard thing for media is in the morning, even if you're not based there, people head to the media room, the press centre, and that's yes. to get we get notes every day. So they produce yes. notes on on the mains on the main men's and women's matches, order of play. I always take about I don't know is this a weird thing to do? So you'd, I take a bunch of notes for the men's and the women's and the draws. I always take about six orders of play, <laughs> and I don't know why because they're all the same. I don't know if I think I'm going to lose them. I just think it's so important to know that order of play of what's happening. I always take about six. Is that weird? Is that right? I definitely say the order of the play is the most important of all of the documents that but we But do get. you take more than one? No. I take about take about six. No. <laughs> that seems a little excessive. Is that why there's none left whenever I get there? <laughs> well, in, in my defence, uh, because I'm working on the Radio Roland Garros, so I like to take one and put it in the studio. So there's definitely one in the radio if someone's forgotten theirs. And then we, we have the TV show. So I, I take one up to the desk up there. So there's one up there. And then I think I need at least three. And I don't know why, because I write on one and then I keep it. Oh, I don't know. I just have <laughs> every, everyone has their little routine and thing with notes. And mine seems to be the order of play. And what's it like for you, uh, Roland Garros? Because, I mean, you've walked, worked there for, for many years and, and seen the changes. I don't know. What what does the tournament mean to you? How is it different to Wimbledon? I mean, you've worked at lots of tournaments for many years. Uh, I'm a bit newer to the, the media game. Uh, Roland Garros, I think, is is quite different. For me, I think the other tournaments I work for Five Live and, and you go there as a team and, and you stay largely in, in your your bubble of, of who you obviously see other people, but you're you're really working in a tight knit group of, say, three or four. French Open is different because I work for the French Tennis Federation doing Radio Roland Garros and on their TV show. So I'm a little bit like a headless chicken. I sort of get in about nine o'clock and I sort of want to say hi to everyone. And then I set up the radio and, and do the TV. It's it's amazing to see how things have changed. When we first did Radio Roland Garris, we were in a, a porter cabin. And I remember we were in this tiny little room because they have a temporary structure in what is the TV compound, which is only needed for the tournament once a year. And it was a tiny room with no air conditioning and a tiny little TV that we work off. And this was years ago. And we had players like Lee Nar. Lee Nar was coming up to our porter cabin 
And sitting there, I kept thinking, these poor people, they've been on court for hours. They've now walked up about 10 flights flights of stairs. Um, they're very hot. And, and one day when, because in all the other layers of the building, there's people working on different things. They locked the doors and, and we were still on air. Andy Murray was playing late and they locked the doors and we couldn't get out. So I was on about the fourth floor, leaning out the window, asking if someone could let us out because we were locked in. Um, but that was a long time ago. But no, <laughs> th- things of things. Are, it's a very different tournament for me because because I'm working um, for different people out there, and I'm I'm running around like a crazy person. Uh, but I but I love it. I I really love it. Really proud of Radio Roland Garris. It's a lot of fun. The pe- we have people from all over the world that come back each year to work on it. The TV shows is is that's newer. Um, and that's that's it's a really good challenge and it's really fun. It, it's I really do like it's probably my busiest and, and it might sound weird because people, I guess, would assume that Wimbledon is is the busiest. But I think for me, that's probably my busiest, the French. Yeah, I suppose because you're covering everything, aren't you? Like a focus on everything happening for Radio Roland Garros. Mm. It's not just a focus yeah. on the French players, for example, whereas working for BBC Five Live it's more focused on the British players, I suppose, and, and what they're doing. I mean, it's a bit of everything yeah. as well. Don't just yeah. miss stuff. <laughs> There's no Brits on today, so no tennis. <laughs> so we're not coming in today. No, no, but I, I, absolutely, with Five Live, there is that focus on the British players. It is a British radio station, so of course. But you're not. if Nadal walks on, you're not going to say, we're going for lunch now because X is not playing till a little bit later. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that small. Whereas for me... Aside from, say, if Andy Murray's playing Kyle Edmund, Johanna Conter, uh, the British players n- might not really cross my path at all. Right. Because there are, there are so many matches to cover. And for Radio Roland Garris, it's global. So uh, and we try and work it around time zones. So when we go on air, Austra- it's a good time in Australia. If there's an Australian playing, try and focus on the Australian. When the Americans wake up, see if that. So we try and... Aside from the big names of the Federers and the Nadal and Serena Williams, we'll try and work it around. Oh, Canada's awake. All right, here we go. Let's put X on. So so the Brits, yes, of course, we will focus on the Brits, but it's by no means as heavy as when I'm working like you are with five live at a tournament. Well, yeah. And <laughs> to be honest, uh, I'm not really sure if I should say this, but going to French Open for um, for five live with a main focus on Brits, you feel like it might be a little lighter than the other slams, especially <laughs> with no Andy Murray What playing. are you trying to say? <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> I mean, it did take quite a while for, you know, Kyle, oh, Kyle won matches, didn't he? And Anyway, last year, I remember just kind of thinking that it might be a little lighter because as I say we didn't have Andy Murray you know, we're not particularly strong on clay Johanna Conta I think she'd never won a match there Is, was that right never got past the never first round never won a match there and then suddenly <laughs> we were so busy because Conta gets through to the fourth round for the first time and then the quarters for the first time and then the semi-finals and we were just <laughs> we were just what is going on this is out completely out felt completely out of the blue um and yeah it was just it was huge as well especially for sort of I mean the build-up to Wimbledon within the UK tends to start after the French Open because people don't tend to do that well at the French Open as I say aside you know Andy Murray's always done fine and uh, Tim Henman did well as well before that but uh, you know very recent years it's kind of been a 
I, I don't know. We just kind of go and we do it. We get it done, but we get on the grass. That's what we do. <laughs> we get on the grass. And um, yeah, and it was amazing. I mean, it, we were so busy. I, I remember thinking I was going to have some free time, but I had like none. I mean, it was great. It was all for a good reason. It was because Conta was doing so well. I was reading the other day, Donald Beckish's coach, Torben Belts, has been uh, chatting, saying that he's had communication with WTA and the plans for getting things back, because that's what we're finding now, particularly here in the UK. It's all about how to ease the lockdown, how to get back to normal step by step by step. Uh, And the, the talk is that one of the restrictions on players playing in events would be that they would only be allowed one team member. So one accreditation with them on site Everybody else, rest of the entourage, has to be locked outside the gates. <laughs> yeah, no, so I thought that was quite interesting. Seems to make a lot of sense because people, I mean, some players can travel with 10, 12 people. Well, we're talking entourages here, not a team. We're talking. Yeah. But how would that work in terms of some players have a certain fitness coach or physio and that is the only person allowed to touch that person's body so how would that work if you can only accredit one person and I'm imagining that largely it would be your coach you would think that it would largely be the coach but I think yeah people might alter that slightly I'm not sure but again as much as this makes complete sense for getting things back on the tour again this will be another hit to the support teams we talked about this before but just when you think that, okay, well, tennis is getting back underway and the support teams, who a lot of them will have been earning no money. Um, some of them will have been earning something uh, and very few, I think, would have been earning what they were earning before if, if things were still kind of going as, as normal. Once again, if you are the physio or the S&C coach or, yeah, whatever you are to do with PR, anything like that, you know, you thought you were going to get back to US Open, French Open, think, okay, this looks on the cards and then now you can't go. But then surely, and this is where the difficulty is going to come in, but that the reason for having one accredited person is to have less people and if the virus is out there, less spreading, less... But surely if you have an entourage, that entourage is just back at your rented house. So I don't I don't see how it, it changes anything because I know with, with the Premier League, they're asking footballers will have to quarantine and self-isolate and, and be away from friends and family for a certain amount of time. But what if you still have that team? What if, say, Djokovic says, well, I, I need this team. So you're in a house with the team and they're doing what they do. And then you come to the tournament with Marion Vida. I, I don't see how that changes things if you've been with the team in the house. What's the difference with them being there or just coming on site? I can understand that. I'm sure it's just going to come down to the fact that if they have some sort of social distancing restrictions, they just need less people. They just need less bodies. Um, I mean, really, if a tournament operate, if a slam operates normally with no crowd, you're talking thousands of people on site. It's not a small operation in any means. You need umpires, officials. I wonder whether they'll reduce the amount of umpires on the court and maybe make more use of Hawkeye. Um, Because, again, it's one thing them being on the court, but... they have their own officials lounge which is very similar to the players lounge which is probably a bit of a zoo and if it's nicer than the players lounge then I want to have a word because (laughs) it can't be Um, but you know they they all are the media lounges everywhere is very very busy um, very packed in it's often you go at lunchtime you can't get a seat and I think it's just to reduce that volume I mean if everybody if a standard Grand Slam player was arriving with 
four team members, for example, on average, four or five, you reduce that down to one. And that is a huge reduction in people that are around. But I wonder whether they'll be looking to make reductions elsewhere. As I say, maybe officials, maybe less ball kids, uh, whatever it may be. Hopefully they won't reduce security. I'm sure that will stay the same, maybe even ramp up a bit. Um, But just I think the volume of people on site, uh, because... Yeah, one imagines that in certain countries, it might not be the case everywhere, but in certain countries there will still be restrictions on, yes, you can have your sporting events. Some countries will say, but behind closed doors. Others will say, that's fine, but you have to abide by all of these different rules. Um, So, yeah, it's going to take a lot of logistical planning. And surely if you just reduce the numbers uh, significantly, that will help. And it was interesting, I read somewhere that um, the question was put out there, does this advantage slightly will this advantage slightly those players who aren't used to traveling with a massive entourage although I'm still thinking that the entourage is going to be there they're just not going to be at the tournament so it won't change that much but the question was being asked if a player is used to looking up and seeing 10 people in his box that jump up every time he does something wonderful or her is that going to be a disadvantage to them looking up there and just seeing one person um I don't think it's really that much of a big deal it's something players have come through that, yes, they might be more used to it now, but ultimately, you know, those players are more than motivated, I think, to uh, to get on with business. And especially after such a long layoff, they are just going to be so excited to be out on the court and competing. They're going to be so hungry for it. So, I mean, I think there, there might be a couple of players who might be a bit lethargic off the mark when we start back again, almost like the beginning of a new season. You get some players that take a little while to warm up into it and then really they uh, they get going after a couple of months. But it won't be a huge disadvantage. I think everybody can cope with it. Everybody could deal with it. I think if you said that no one could go and that only the player was there and the player boxes were empty, that might affect some people. But just having a point of reference, because there are some players that look at their box every point and it's just a habit. It's a reassurance thing. It's it keeps them grounded. It keeps them focused. It keeps them unaware of the crowd or the score or whatever it is. And they look at every single point and then you get others that kind of just play and they'll just look over there when they're probably annoyed and they'll have a go at their <laughs> point. I'm thinking of Daniel Medvedev, <laughs> somebody like that. Uh, so I. Yeah, I think if there was, if you weren't allowed anyone in your box and everybody had to stay off site, uh, that might affect some people. But as long as you've got one point of reference, one pair of eyes that you can look at and focus on, I think it should be okay. It's going to be interesting because a lot of people, and you talk about the the wider members of the team who haven't been getting any work, like the physios, fitness trainers, we assume they'll all come back into their jobs because the players need them. It'll be interesting to see, for instance line judges because we've seen at next gen they are not used they rely on Hawkeye you still have the chair umpire but with the social distancing measures they're not allowed in the little exhibitions we've seen at the moment is that something that is going to change forever which would be really difficult for those people that travel the world and make their living as line judges you know how many of these changes coming in now are going to become the new normal oh that's interesting I'm not sure I kind of feel like the the best thing to do would be possibly say, like, okay, for for twenty twenty one, we're gonna do, we're gonna reduce the numbers, or we're gonna not have line judges, or whatever those decisions may be. I'm not saying you shouldn't have lines judges, but it is an obvious way to really reduce uh, the amount of people on site. Um, and yeah, quite quickly, we've got the technology in place. The umpires still need to be there, but there's a lot less of them than there are of lines judges. If you think at some tournaments, you've got 
you've got three at the back, three at the back on the other side, that's six, and you've got a service line, so you've got seven, plus you've got a couple kind of waiting in the wings in case somebody falls ill. That's just one court, one team. And that's not even doing the whole match. They do a shift and then they switch round. So there's an awful lot of them. Um, yeah, it, it seems like an obvious way. that they. I don't think they'll want to do it um, because I don't think they want to get rid of lines judges. It's just that if there are restrictions on the amount of people, you've got to make cuts from somewhere. And if the players are losing the majority of their entourages, I think that that is a you know that might be uh, something that they look at can i just i just only thought one positive of not being in paris over the next course of the course of the next couple of weeks i'm i'm going to probably eat 60 fewer baguettes than, <laughs> than than if i was at roland garros because when you're talking about sometimes forgetting to eat and you go a whole day sometimes when you're on the run and you're, you're running through the, the canteens of various places you grab a baguette because it, it's full of them just to, you think oh I just grab, I haven't got time to sit down. I just grab that baguette and I'll eat it. Honestly, I think last year was pretty good, but I think one year, I think I just ate, I was eating like two or three baguettes a day. It's easily done. <laughs> it's easily done, especially. It's not good. Bar. It's not good. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to make myself feel better. And the positives are I, I'm not going to, yeah, get into big figures with baguette eating in the yeah. next couple of weeks yeah I know but you do so much running around you'd burn it off anyway oh I'm not I, I, I you've got not, quite a few flights of stairs to get up I still eat a lot of baguettes <laughs> yeah but normally I'm running up the stairs holding a baguette <laughs> they're, they're always close by because they're very handy and convenient <laughs> one thing I didn't ask you last week and this was just after it was announced were did you ever play in the the national championships because the LTA had announced that, what is it, for the first time since, what, 2002, that the national championships are coming back this year? Well, the answer to your question is no. Oh. But we just I just should clarify, this is not the tournament we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. There's two different events. Yes. There's the British um, National Women's Closed event, which is kind of an independent event, and then the LTA also putting on the British Nationals. It was in place up until 2002. And you know what? All players, I think, across Britain have really mourned the fact that it's not been on. I think it's such a great event. And yeah, as you say, it stopped in 2002. I didn't turn professional until 2005. And then, obviously, I'm already retired. Why did it stop? What What was the reason it no it idea. I don't know whether it was money. I mean, the turnout was amazing. I mean, everybody played. All the top players play. I mean, Tim Hemman, I think, had won it one year. Like, the, the, Yeah, it was just such a great event. But no, they stopped it pretty early. So uh, I've never played in it. I don't think Andy Murray ever played in it either. Well, that's what we're seeing now, isn't it? That I was just looking today at Novak Djokovic held a press conference from the Adria Tour. And that's taking place. And that's going to tour a number of of countries we have the the british women's closed championship we talked about the national championships coming back in america they've they've gone underway with a kind of new normal tennis we are starting to see remember there was one point we thought there would be no tennis played and i know these are still exhibition style tournaments but from being in a place when we thought we're not going to see a ball struck competitively we are seeing these little exhibitions these little tournaments with big name players popping up yeah and i mean it seems to make sense and i imagine we're just going to see more and more of it right um but with Djokovic's well i don't know much about it um i think serbia i think they're going to play in croatia montenegro so there's a little bit of a tour around uh which is encouraging the fact that you can do that because that's one of the big concerns about tennis is yeah. that we tour and it's very difficult to tour right now um but are they doing it behind closed doors do you know 
or what what the plan is is it just going to be sort of streamed or on tv or is it just going to be like a normal event i don't know 100 percent the ins and outs i mean i was drawn to it because djokovic is the figurehead of it and holding the press conference and just saying look it's so good that we're back and it's so good and i think it's it's over the course of a month i think that's the other good thing that it's it's over the course of in terms of of crowds i would imagine at this stage no because no one has crowds at this point and and for the foreseeable future i mean there was even talk or a little bit of hope for the us open with a talk that with the quarantine rules in place that a number of certain elite athletes would be exempt from those quarantine rules maybe keeping the door open a little bit for us open to go ahead but surely in that case it would be behind closed doors you know there's a big boost wasn't it actually uh, because that again thinking about touring the biggest issue is the quarantining um, and you hope that look if quarantining is necessary that it will be enforced and it will have to happen because tennis is not more important than that but yeah, you just kind of feel like, okay, we get everybody to New York, everybody quarantines and then plays the US Open. That could happen. That's totally feasible. But then what? Then we need to get them to Europe to quarantine before the clay and then to to play the French Open. And it becomes kind of, you can't, you know, we are so used to going from country to country, week to week to week to week. We We don't even really spend that many blocks of time in one country, apart from the States, because it's so huge. We have those a uh, couple of little blocks there. But really, on the whole, it's just um, you're just crossing borders the whole time. I mean, tennis players' passports are just shredded. <laughs> Every tennis player has to get a new passport years before it expires. <laughs> Everyone always, I get the extra big ones. You have to pay like an extra tenner to get an extra. Oh, really? Big so one. what you get just extra pages? In extra it. pages, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just rack up those stamps. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely the biggest challenge, I think, for tennis. I, the crowds is obviously another challenge. But we've seen that tennis is one of the first sports back. I'm back on court, been playing the last week, been trying out my social distance tennis. How is your social distance tennis? It's rusty. <laughs> Shock. Do you know what? Actually, it's quite funny because uh, one of the, the sessions I, I did, I was lucky enough to play at Wimbledon, uh, and on, just on one of the hard courts, and it's right by the road. So anyone who's been to Wimbledon or who knows the layout, or Wimbledon it's right by um the the main road church road that goes down and then you've got the golf course which Wimbledon have just purchased on the other side there were some rusty golfers playing as well because twice <laughs> a ball came over onto our no. court <laughs> it's a long way away from where it needed to be so I was thinking well we're rusty playing a bit of tennis but they're rusty on the golf that's three months of not playing golf that so that was kind of quite entertaining but uh yeah no no it went well it was good it was good fun. it's nice to be out there and again we said this last time didn't we that it's while in the UK things seem to be easing they've just talked about non-essential shops opening I think what 15th of June uh school set to reopen next week because this I totally forgot but this is half term um I, I lost track of what things are um bad news for us though if we decide the boys will go back and it would be part-time couple of days a week I said boys schools reopening are you looking forward to it no so would you like to go back to school no. You can see your friends. No. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I thought they would, you know, I thought they'd be desperate. I thought they'd be thinking, can I go back to school? And But they were less like, no, no, we like being at home. And I thought, I bet you do. Yeah. I mean, do you worry that they've now kind of 
they've now learned what homeschooling is and they're now thinking I think this might be for me yeah well <laughs> that it's not very good <laughs> like if this is what school's like at home I'm staying I think I think my worry and I think the two things that I think um we're a little bit more relaxed about them going back because we believe I've had the virus and then therefore the boys are asymptomatic or they've been through it so I suppose that's made us a little bit more relaxed the other thing is if they didn't go back till September I think it'd be really hard to get them back because already now they're like this this is great you know we're at home and we get to do this and we don't have to do a lot of this and I would worry that if I waited till September that I think it would be really really tough to get them back into school I suppose the, the tennis restrictions are particularly with handing balls. So when I was playing, we had one tube of balls, which were mine, one tube of balls, which were my partners that we were playing against, that I was playing against. Um, and I only picked up mine with my hand and she only picked up hers. And the rest of the time, you just use your racket to bat it around, that sort of thing. Were they different? Were they? Did you have your different coloured balls or how did you know which yellow ball was yours? You just marked them. Oh, okay. Yeah, you just right. just mark them. The best thing to do because if you just put like a, a black line or something, uh, it's very difficult to see that when you're kind of you have to kind of roll the ball around and it just gets a bit annoying. You're kind of pushing it around with your racket to see whether it's your ball or not. But you know the white bits on a ball. Yeah. I don't really know what the technical term is. For, if anyone, if anyone should, you it's should. The seam. There we go. <laughs> is it the seam? Yeah. I don't know, but it's rubber. It's not knit. It's not sewn. It's. I don't rubber. think a seam has to be knitted, does it? I don't so, know. I don't know. Anyway, you know what I mean. It holds the felt on the glue. It's glue. Surely it's glue. The white. If you take, you just carry it. No, you just carry on. My top tip for everybody getting back out on court is if you take a some sort of bright coloured pen, like a felt tip pen, uh, and then you colour along the whites, then you can see it. Um, so say my colour is pink, and I draw pink along the white bit. Um, you don't have to do all of it, but just so that kind of because then from every angle you can see that it's pink, so you can just go grab it. Because the problem is that if you can't see it quickly that it's your ball, then you're more likely to kind of get fed up and just pick it up, which you just shouldn't do because obviously it might not be your ball. So um, yeah, you just want to be able to see it from every angle. So if you just kind of colour on just a little bit on the white bit, it's quite subtle, and uh, yeah, you can just see it from every angle. Just easy. It's my top tip. Imagine telling four-year-olds, or you can only pick up the ball with the the green bit yeah on there or the red. I, th- I, th- I think it I just think I think it would be too messy and again they're still little they're four I wasn't about to start entering them into national tournaments you're not panicking so the development I, is I'm I'm not <laughs> panicking that the development is slowed down I, I'm very relaxed about it I just wanted it to be fun so and we play a little bit in the garden and do some bits and pieces uh, but it's their birth oh it's their birthday next month and the big present it seems at this age are bikes Oh, I don't know anything about bikes. I've I haven't had a bike. I'm not I'm not a cyclist. I haven't had a bike since I was little, I guess. The things I've learned about bikes in the last 2-3 weeks. Well, firstly that they're all sold out. Oh. Because everybody's thinking nice weather, social distancing, what can we do as a family get on a bike? Secondly, they can be extortionate. Uh, a bike for a 5-year-old and I got to buy two. And and the amount of makes of bikes. So we we do finally have the bikes, but I, I, I can't tell you. I, I, this is very prepared of you. Well, no, but it's just because I... St- well, it was only because friends started talking about bikes they'd bought for their children's birthday in June. And so I thought, oh, gosh, I better start having a look at this. And everything was sold out. Everything was sold out. 
because some yeah. companies can't get the stock coming in from abroad. Yeah, that's the trouble is that the, the demand is up, the supply is down. And then I, what bike do you get and what colour bike do you get? And what, oh, I mean, honestly, it's been that the, the best moment was when I pressed buy and we got the two bikes. We've still got to put them together, but I'm, I'm, that's not my job. Are you going to be able to that's... keep up with them, with them on bikes if you're not well, on I don't a bike. have a bike. Um, well, I'm thinking it's a father-son activity to oh, start okay. with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and when when everyone's up to speed and enjoying themselves, I might I might sort of get involved. But at the moment, I think it's a father-son bonding. Fun sons, they can go out on their bikes. I agree. I yeah, think so. I think that's definitely. So I'm just and as I'm not working, I've had time to get things sorted for their birthday because normally this time of year, I wouldn't. Well, I'll be in Paris, but so I'm just I'm just getting everything ready. <laughs> They'd be getting baguettes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you come back from Paris. Yeah. Have something I've French. Got you baguette. <laughs> so the birthday is is pretty organised. I, I I don't know how we'll be able to celebrate or how many people, but in terms of the presents and the bikes, the, oh, I just oh, um, yeah, bikes done. Good. I, I'm starting to worry that we're going to lose a lot of work when work comes back because of all the players now doing interviews and all these Insta live stories, and I've. I was looking at Naomi Osaka and I've got to say, I don't know if there's a part of the job that you got into with commentary and reporting that you were nervous about or worried about, but I really appreciate what Naomi Osaka, I, I was I was never 100% when she was really shy. I was like, is that real? Does she not like the press? But it seems that she's used this time to try and overcome what seems to be crippling shyness by messaging players saying, Gilmore Feast, can I interview you? And he's like, all right. Stefano Sitspas, yeah, let's do it. And I watched a couple of the interviews. And I've got to say, the one with Sitspas, it was kind of a, a bit awkward at times because he's a little bit of an awkward character as well. Um, but seeing them have conversations and her interviewing the player, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. I think, it, and I think fair play to her tackling an area that she saw as as a bit of a weakness. Yeah, well, it's just such a typical athlete mentality oh I've got some downtime what am I going to do improve my weaknesses that's what we what am I not very good at let's just do it so yeah it I mean she she rose so quickly and yes there was a there was about a, a year or two before she won a Grand Slam where people thought that she was going to be a, a top player maybe yeah not necessarily number one in the world, not necessarily winning Grand Slam, but your top 10 was kind of looking like, hey, this girl is, is is looking really good. But I tell you what, before that, I saw her out and about playing. I saw her at tournaments and it was not the sort of moment where you look at somebody and go, wow, okay, she's going to be a player, which is what happens with a lot of players. It doesn't happen for everybody, 100%, doesn't happen for everybody. But for her, her rise I think was probably quite quick. So she didn't really get to prepare. And then not only um, did she not get to prepare for kind of press conferences and doing media stuff, but also the first media that she was doing was of such a high level. And it was, uh, and also being uh, Japanese, you know, it's just the biggest amount of media possible. Um, it's the, the, busiest most packed room you could have for, for an athlete so it really was from sort of kind of oh yeah do a little bit of media into into global superstar status um but big news she is the highest paid female athlete of all time we knew it was going to happen 30 over 37 million dollars 
she earned last year. So I think she's okay through quarantine and <laughs> I think she's all right not playing um, so much. But I mean, a, a phenomenal achievement for her and for the, the world of tennis. I think, it, again, it is just another massive credit to our sport. The top 10 earning female sports stars of 2019 were all from tennis. It's something that we should shout about more than we do. And now we've got Osaka leading the way, highest earning athlete of all time. Absolutely extraordinary. And it was lovely in her chat with Sitsipas when he said, what's your favourite memory, your most treasured memory? She had a couple, but her first one was when she won Indian Wells, her mum quit her job. She said her mum had always wanted to travel with her more, be with her more, and it was winning Indian Wells when her mum finally said that was it. She could quit her job and travel with her daughter more. Amazing. It's just amazing, right? Like You just love that. such a such a moment. And I think that is something that does come across with Osaka. She really is a family person. You know, she defends her sister you know, whenever she needs to. She loves spending time with her. And, and you know, her family do seem pretty grounded and down to earth which which might contribute to her shyness they're not sort of attention seekers any of them are they (laughs) i think they're all just kind of okay we're gonna play some tennis and oh look she's won the u.s open (laughs) and then off you go Uh, it just kind of has that vibe about it doesn't it really which is um which is really lovely right i have two children to entertain this week so last week i had two children to homeschool this week i have two children to entertain Awesome. And it's annoying you can't give them their bikes early because that would be great. For the Remember, week. we've still got to build them, put them together. Oh. Yeah, this, this is... The, the bike... The, the bike. Given that, there you go. <laughs> You've got bikes, but you got to build them. The bike trauma is far from over. It's only just beginning. So, yeah. So this week it's about entertaining, having some fun within the restrictions that we still have and then the possibility of school next week. So I'm off to... I don't know. I'm off to see what they want to do. Perfect. I'll speak to you soon. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.